0: Hi Jason.
1: Hello Good. Henrietta.
0: How are you? I
1: am doing well, I'm Good. doing well. <laughs> Welcome to the conversation with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Hey again. <laughs> Hello.
0: <laughs> um, so obviously we've been doing these podcasts for a while now um, yes. and just in between them having kind of larger conversations about many things, particularly as it pertains to fashion. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because a lot of the questions that we have raise more questions than they do answers. Which is one of the great
1: things about doing this podcast.
0: Exactly. So I think what could be a really interesting way to frame some of these conversations is in the sort of light of the bigger industry questions. Yes. Because they're conversations that are just naturally ongoing, but they're kind of, not rhetorical, but just conversations that just requires some critical thought, but by mm-hmm. no means is it is there a, are we within the time frame of figuring out the solutions because everything's right. moving as it's going.
1: So it's definitely raising the questions and, and raising key points and trying to see how we wrap our, our heads around exactly. it. Exactly. But leaving it out there to to be discussed further.
0: Exactly. And this week we
1: are discussing the direct to consumer model. It is essentially a question of do you direct to consumer or do you not? <laughs> I mean, maybe I could have phrase that a bit better, but essentially—that
0: was kind of genius. Do you di- do you actually direct to consumer?
1: Well, okay, let's let's break this. Let's break down this issue. In this digital age, there's so many digitally native brands that have issued all the brick and mortar situation and, and all that goes along with that. However, when you, everyone is now part of that conversation because essentially wholesale has gone the way of...
0: It's gone from Babford to us. <laughs> okay, it's like on the way of the BlackBerry, you know, to
1: some extent. But here's the thing, wholesale is still here though. And people do have to still consider it, but also the direct-to-consumer model. But I have to say, in my work and in my experience people I come across, especially in the moment, there is such a great lack of understanding about this direct-to-consumer model. That people don't understand, well, just because you put something up on your website, well, um, that's just the beginning. How are they going to find you? How are they going to c- constantly be reminded of you? And the myriad, the myriad of the function that, has, that goes along with that. So we're discussing this, I feel, because so many brands, so many companies in this industry are, 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 are mired in that in that thinking and trying to find the solution for their brand as to how to approach the consumer via this digital platform. And when I say direct-to-consumer, it's not only digital, it also does mean a brick and mortar, but directly from a mono brand, just to be clear.
0: Okay. Um, what do I think about this? I mean, listen... Direct-to-consumer just makes more sense. And while I get your point about not everyone having the tools or the understanding to, to execute against a sound, solid strategy, it just makes sense. Like, the wholesale model is so broken. The margins, even the... the bounce-back
1: of the, products that don't sell. The
0: bounce-back of products and what that all means from a financial standpoint. But also, I think, when we're in an age where brands... Where fashion, I think, is really, speaking of bounce-back starting to bounce back from this dystopian view that we've all I mean it's been like it felt apocalyptic at one point oh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. now it's all being bounced back because you've got a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands who are really taking ownership and controllers to like what their DNA is what their voice is what they stand for what their ecosystem is and the people they align with as well as them wanting to be profitable because some of their values don't necessarily align with you know so like the idea of sustainability or where do we make our products is it a slightly higher price point because it wasn't made in a certain factory in China so all of those things mean that there's like a reset to like reconcile does a wholesale model work for us but also where even the idea of wholesale like Barney's doesn't have the luster it once had so some brands are also like do we even care about barneys and also what they stand for you know and that's one way of looking at it and by large part, I do stand behind that, and that's what I think. But I think your view of it does have its place is also really valid. I just, I think largely it's a broken model and it needs to be relooked at. And, well, Mm
1: -hmm. my issue, or rather the issues with, uh, with the brands that I see is just like they the the lack of the lack of knowledge as to strategy that's 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 where where really where I see the problem they don't know that in many in many instances they have to become you know they have to have an editorial arm you just don't have an editorial arm without having editorial experience what are you communicating what's your message <laughs> what's your messaging
0: so many brands you know so many brands so you have to become uh, a different
1: kind of a different kind of brand in this age, and particularly with that editorial component. I see marketing and the editorializing components as, as being the most challenging one. And in those two functions, there, there's so much that encompasses. There's so much that they encompass, and I just find that the brands do not. Yeah, fine. If they had to do an ad campaign before, that's relatively easy. You get a model that represents your your image. You get some snaps, and you you run campaigns in whatever publication or wherever. Um, now is a bit different. Now you 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 were talking about your voice, you know, what will, you're talking about sustainability. Well, how do you, how do you communicate that in a, in a way that your audience consumes it in a measured way, in an entertaining way that is not just you know, just information is actual content. And so I find in that space that the, I mean, it's almost as though someone has to teach a class. Here's the thing, Henrietta, you know, we have all these new business models, we have new business models, let's say, and everyone is supposed to sort of ramp up the knowledge and be like, okay, we're doing direct to consumer now. It, it doesn't, it's not as simple. And as a consultant, I find when you go to these brands, you're like, um, the stunning lack of knowledge oh is God. shocking. And that
0: is where it hurts the most as a consultant or an external partner because, or even as an intern- partners, like how that's <laughs> that's also really painful, but just this idea that someone is going to be bold and say, direct to consumer, we're going to make this work, and then not set you up for success by providing you Cook. with not even the tools, but the basic understanding. And I think that it's harder for some brands and not others, largely with the big box brands or a lot of the legacy brands, because ultimately, you know, like I said, brands have a different role in our lives now. It, it isn't enough to just exist. There's a level of transparency in this age of social media and, like, where are my things coming from, redefining luxury, making sure that things are in alignment and reflect our own personal codes and values. And so that's really hard to do if you work for a company that, like, you're so used to being cloak and dagger, smoke and mirrors. You can't operate in the way that digitally native brands like the Glossier are operating because you can't can't see under the bonnet, unfortunately, because... Like you said, the body bags are buried. And so those things become really problematic. And I think that when people think about direct consumer they're thinking about being an arm of a business and not an overhaul of a business.
1: Okay, see, that's a really important statement. An overhaul of a business, not an, an arm of business. And
0: by overhaul, sometimes
1: I'm like, the CEO has to go. Uh, like Literally <laughs> has to go. And then when you have to redefine a customer experience, like that's not just a little, that's not just a little sprinkle of a little, you know, a little glitter dust or whatever. And no. people
0: also don't want to do that because they don't want to alienate the existing customer, even though they don't recognize that the existing customer is either changing okay. or dying.
1: Okay. Exactly. So you have to you have to rethink that customer experience, particularly when it goes digitally. And again, you know, there's one thing to walking down a, a, a main avenue and you know seeing your 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 favorite stores and going in and discovering you know what they have, and it's another thing to being online and 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 you know seeing a pop up ad or whatever the case may be. Well, what exactly do you see that promotes a brand to you? Is it an Instagram? Is it a Facebook ad? It becomes a much more challenging space in some ways as to how to reach the customer and where the customer accesses that information and content
0: right but i think it's also about how you marry the old guard with the new guard because the old guard kind of infrastructure still works to a certain degree right um but there are there are things like um like even with ceos like sometimes i'm like how are you able to be like, if you don't understand culture, it sounds so tenuous, but it's like, if you don't understand culture, mm. how are you expected to succeed? As Do you know what I mean? Of it's course. like, there are so many nuances now that make you fly as a brand. Like SoulCycle is an amazing example, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, even though they're outside of fashion, why is SoulCycle almost like a cult, but yet you have, even within the mother company of like Equinox having to spin classes, Flywheel, like all of these copycat brands, but yet none of them have been able to get that equity because there is they have the X factor, that kind of unicorn dust that is not just about P&L and, and bottom line and all of that stuff. It is about culture and understanding humans. Right. And so sometimes, like I remember when I was consulting and when I was on the agency side, I would just sit in front of these like 60 year old white male CEOs and just think... The fact that you're even looking at me as a black female in this industry as like uh, some sort of like unicorn or alien out of space just goes to show that you don't understand. The fact that you're even like trying to look at certain trends as phases, like, you know, the Internet or social media or certain social media platforms, Mm -hmm. like the whole idea that you don't think you need to invest in content. What are you talking about? But like, why are you trying thing. to
1: repurpose lookbook images? <laughs> but here's the thing. You and I have been weaned onto this model for some time now because we recognize that, you know, <laughs> there is, it's a new day and there are new tools and we have to approach business differently. But I would say the, the masses have not. They have not come to this place. Yes, of course we're in a digital, we're in a digital landscape. But in the the nuance or the, the act of doing business, it hasn't been fully. It hasn't been fully understood and fully embraced. That's why I feel that Ian, there needs to be a masterclass. Who teaches that masterclass in retail about new retail strategies?
0: Who does that? Masterclass is the audience, though. Literally, the customer is always right, and that's what I mean about understanding culture. If you understand culture. You also understand people.
1: But you have to be taught. You have to be taught in this age that culture is that important. It's amazing. I've been watching all the stuff that Nike has been doing and the way that they are really narrowing down their understanding of different cultural lanes. It seems that that's exactly what the future is about, that it's segmentation, segmentation, segmentation. The better you understand these micro niche communities, the the more effective you are going to be able to communicate and therefore sell to them. But most importantly, forget about the manipulation, component of that but let's talk about that that understanding you have to understand what makes them tick
0: let's actually break that down because manipulation i think skews depending on the brand and their tactics to achieve a certain result right but ultimately um you said this perfectly about the micro audiences because there's a level of intersectionality about culture that has always been there, but now we're really honing on it to get the dollar out of the pocket, which is you cannot communicate to, there's no one message. Exactly. There's no blanket message. There's no
1: blanket content. Like, that's huge, That and that's the thing. And, you know, the example I gave before, In Another Age, when it was just about placing... An, here's our advertising campaign. Place it in a magazine, there's an insertion. No, that was a that was a blanket messaging. No, it's no longer Which the case. Which is also
0: why I wonder, like, even with basics, like, budget allocation, like, why are people still spending millions of dollars advertising, in, like, in Vogue? Like, what? Because that is what I'm talking about. There's no blanket messaging. You have to get really granular and... It's about getting attention, and people unfortunately are too busy to really pay attention to things that are not applicable to their lives.
1: True, but here's the thing: when, when say, for example, the the, the relationship with your retailers, you're at your Mono Brand and you have used to sell wholesale to the Barney's and the Saxons and so forth of the world, if you if you go to direct to consumer, you have lost. A huge marketing channel, you know, it's not just about selling products through those through those retailers, it's about marketing your brand, keeping it in the face of your of your audience. Well, if that goes away, and that's huge. Remember, if you're selling to, if you're, if you're a brand who did wholesale, you're selling to a number of stores across the country world, whatever the case may be. Now, if you no longer have those promotional marketing platforms, well, how are you, how are you then going to communicate with the audience, you know? Like, those are big, those are big functions in companies.
0: That's true. But I think wholesale, like any other facet of the business, has to be based on strategy, because ultimately there's a there's a place for it. Like, for instance, if you want to expand internationally, like the cost of shipping internationally just isn't feasible for good some point. companies. So an international partner completely makes sense, like built-in audiences, like right. marketing support, yes. and just like being able to tap into something you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do on yourself. It's a good testing ground, proof of concept before you open stores, invest in shipping, all of that great yeah. stuff. It's also strategically, it's really good for... Um, for marketing, the Davis Streets, the Colettes, rest in peace. Like, those types of multi-retailers who have a cultural point of view, there's something special in the curation, They're, they have a die-hard audience who trust their every word, which yes. goes back to our conversation about, where's the place for that? I mean, these places are shutting down the front centre. So true, so true. When actually, so true. When actually <laughs> like, to me, like, why are the doors of Barney's still open? Why did Colette close? It's almost that whole thing of, I would almost think that specialty stores... Should be, and maybe they are having a renaissance, and I'm just not familiar with like all the new ones that are popping up. But ultimately, they have a point of view like that we really want to see. They it's do. so
1: specific. But in this age, if you are, say, the curator for a specialty store, you know, this is your labor of love, and you're like, I love all these brands, and I'm going to bring them under one roof, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cultivate my audience, and all of this kind of thing. Yes, this has been a model we have lived by for some time. In this age, though, Things are so splintered and so, you know, people, the the lack of loyalty, of customer loyalty is that you have to be a very rich person who is doing this out of a labor of love and you're able to sustain this over a period of time. And I look for that person to do that. um, But I don't think you can do that with a typical business model anymore Mm. where your ROI are really being considered.
0: (laughs) But also, like, if you look at, for instance, Vuitton and the appointment of Virgil, it's like... I thought that was really fascinating because traditionally, where they would be like, "We're going to do a Kith collaboration," or "We're going to do," you know, they just did their Supreme collaboration. Now they're just like, "That hypebeast dollar is here to stay." Fuck it, we're just going to hire one of the biggest street st- streetwear designers in the game. Yeah. And so, a lot of brands are actually creating their own verticals within the larger brands it's where so they true. can. Bypart so type. true, so true, what but a brand
1: like a Louis Vuitton obviously has the agility and the wherewithal to be yeah. able to really segment their business in those ways. Where I find, where I see the challenges is with those smaller and mid-sized companies that do not have that um, the knowledge, the wherewithal, the, the, the agility to really respond to this new marketplace. And it's it's actually kind of scary to see how uninformed they are and the kind of choices that they make in this marketplace.
0: True, but I think if you do direct a consumer really smartly, like you do have the ability to, you know, dissect and add and categorize your brand in any way possible. I mean, look at the Fashion Overs and the Glossier. Like these brands are killing it and they haven't been around for that long. So it's, you know, there's obviously a right way of doing it and there's a wrong way of doing it. And I, what I find really interesting is the brands that are not doing it right, what they're doing.
1: Yeah, but you know, I. <laughs> you I, talk
0: I... about this school, but the school is everywhere. The school is in the. The learnings as to like who's doing well. The learnings are in what audiences are gravitating towards. Like but I don't know if anyone giving... with an Instagram, I think is is attuned to what. What's I don't happening. think
1: you're giving enough of a nod to how different these times are to how different you know if you're a 40 something a 50 something year old person thank god I'm digitally skilled but <laughs> if I, I I know a lot of my peers who are feeling incredibly insecure are feeling so vulnerable they do not and I think for us to assume or take for granted that you know the the learning curve is that is that quick and that easy it, it really really isn't there's a there's a real barrier it may be you know mental or otherwise but there's a real barrier to entry for some of these people as to have that confidence in that marketplace to make decision from a digital perspective. Which
0: goes back to the, um, what are the attributes of a CEO? Because we talk about brands that are digitally native and having a millennial CEO and like how those things work really Mm. well. But for instance, I remember months ago, we were talking about Pat McGrath, and like how that was able to work. Like, I don't think it's necessarily an age thing. It's about embracing something and having the ability to change. And I think Right, that- but that's an
1: age thing. I I, I, will, I will speak as a 47, 46-year-old man, and I will tell you that is an age thing. Your ability to change is certainly impacted by the times that you've grown up in. And we're living in a time right now that, you know, our culture is almost split down the line. Half of it is, you know, came after this this technological advancement, and then uh, the, the, the the other half of was brought up in it natively. That's a very, very, very different approach. And someone like myself who kind of straddles the line, it's a very, it's very different. And it's not that easy. And I, I, I have to tell you, I have empathy for my, you know, for my middle-aged brothers and sisters because some of them are feeling, and not to say they're not the ta- the talented, but they may not be able to um, transcribe that talent to a digital place. And
0: that's an issue. Mm, I tend to think of it. It's not that I disagree. I just I think there were just so many great examples of women and men who are over. 40 and 50 and 60 who are able to navigate this seamlessly. they always a guard to New Guard. If you look at a lot of the VCs that are investing in companies, like look at Nat- Natalie Massinet and like all of these people that are understanding what's happening and actually... Well, Natalie Massinet
1: is another fair example, by the way, because Natalie actually has been, you know, pioneering right. in the but digital like, space. Look at, for
0: look at the heads of all of the massive fashion conglomerates. I swear they're like older than Dishwater. You know, I just think that we can't just take the easy way out and say, well, you're aged out of this idea of how to be successful in a
1: direct-to-consumer. Well, I, no, I agree with you. If I, if I were to accept that, I wouldn't be speaking on this podcast right now.
0: <laughs> no, I know, but to the point of Natalie Massna and, um, Pat and yourself, like, it, I just don't think they're anomalies. I think that it's...
1: Just I think a, there may be more of an anomaly than really? you think. Yeah. Mm. I think, no, 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 Generally, generationally speaking, yeah, they're, they're issues. They're issues. I don't know if it's getting enough, um, is enough airing, but, oh, yeah, for sure. They're, my peers, I assure you, are feeling highly, highly vulnerable in this marketplace.
0: Well, I mean, my closing thoughts about direct-to-consumer is that, like it or not, that is... It makes business sense. It makes branding and marketing sense. And it really makes sense for the consumer. And I think ultimately it's about getting that mix right and that ratio right of like, if the majority of your business can be direct to consumer and you're able to cherry pick wholesale or like retail or like whatever the mix is, it just makes business sense. And ultimately everyone's in it to make money. So people need to figure it out.
1: For sure. Well, I I, I agree with you. I think if you're able to really find that matrix that works for your brand, all the better. But I, I have to say, coming to the understanding of that matrix, is it, it requires more hurdles than new things the eye.
0: And in fairness, it is really nuanced and it's so subjective to each business, which I think is part of the hurdle, as before it used to be like a kind of formula that used to work really well. Precisely. And now it's, you know, what works for one brand doesn't work for another. And I think that's exactly why I think the leadership team, the executive teams, the boards, and the the people in the company um really needs to be well-versed and like that's where the question um the you know to you know link it to previous topics we've talked about that's why diversity is good for business that's why inclusivity is good for business like that's why transparency is good for business because it's all of these things that make your strategies bespoke to your business and like what you're trying to achieve
1: there you go fully agree and on that note Bye. thank you for joining us <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs>